You can create the body you want, but you've got to stop guessing and start using a process that works. Nutrition, training, supplementation, it all matters. And today our guest is going to teach you how to do that. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast about disrupting your life to spark new evolution. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now it's time to disrupt. <laughs> and with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Joining me in Oberlin, Ohio, is the most interesting man that I know. W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Well, I think the most interesting man that we're going to get to know is our guest. I, I couldn't agree more. And in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Guys, we are really excited today. We've got uh, Justin Harris, who is the owner of a few different companies, but he's the owner and customized training and performance nutrition company. Uh, Justin, correct me on this. Toponin Nutrition? <laughs> You're about the only one who's ever said it correctly. Yep, Troponin. Troponin yep. Nutrition. I love that name. we got to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Justin yep. is a coach and a nutritionist in the fitness industry for nearly 20 years. But what makes Justin even more interesting is this guy holds an undergraduate degree in kinesiology and a master's degree in atomic physics. Justin, I think you're the first person we've had on the podcast that has a degree in atomic physics. That's pretty badass. Yeah, it's a weird one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hold on, hold on. I, I got to add something to this because it right, fits in right. where I am. So, I, so I'm in Oberlin, Ohio at Oberlin College, and, you know, everybody knows it's a super liberal college and this and that. But the most interesting thing about Oberlin College is this. When you talk to the students, and I asked all of the students, what's your major? They always say things like, well, I'm studying kinesiology and atomic physics. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when I hear this about Justin, I'm just thinking, wow, he's like an Oberlin student with these like <laughs> drastically, almost diametrically opposed majors and minors. So well, I we went, have, go ahead. I went to a, a, a private liberal arts college, actually. So it's similar to, to, to like an Oberlin. So, okay. you know, that's probably why it's so eclectic because we, you know, we're forced to have a pretty wide range of uh, coursework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty I always find people like that it's fascinating. Well, I think it's great when you got two uh, really diametrically opposed uh, interests, or if you have interest in many different areas. Now, Justin, you're, you've been a top-level competitor in powerlifting, right? You won uh, 2004 Mr. Michigan, uh, 2006 Junior USA Super Heavyweight Champion, and then in 2007 and 2008, you were the APF Michigan powerlifting uh, champion, totaling elite in both competitions. Um, mm -hmm. is you've, had, you've had quite the career uh, in health and fitness, but I want to start, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about how somebody with a master's in atomic physics becomes a coach in health and fitness. Well, it's really the reverse, how someone was a coach became a, because I went back to grad school uh, later in life, so well, my, my, my start in fitness, I guess, or, or weightlifting was I was kind of uh, just a, a, a nothing kid, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was like a nerd or like, I, I wasn't even, I wasn't even that uh, unique. I was like kind of just the middle of the road. No, I don't, I don't, you could take any one of my middle school, they might not even know I existed, you know, just kind of 
blah, which no one wants to be, you know, everyone wants to excel or be special or something. Uh, and I just, you know, I just wasn't, I love sports. I was, I was good at baseball because you could be good at that age and not be, you know, large or strong or fast really. Uh, but then I can't remember. Oh, I, actually it was, I think I watched like the 1988 or 1989 Arnold, it would have been 89 Arnold classic was on, was on like NBC or something. And I was like eight year old kid, you know, and I was kind of mesmerized by it. And so I remember trying to draw those guys before bed. And from that point on, I was intrigued by weightlifting. And then what kind of got me into the whole thing was oh, I started working out, not knowing what I was doing, but I, you know, I realized whatever I worked hard and whatever weight I was doing last week, you know, this week I was able to do a little bit more. And then the next week I was able to do a little bit more. And it was, it was like incredibly eye opening for me because I just thought, I don't think I ever really put much thought into it, but up until that point in my life, I thought, you know, like if you were, you know, the good basketball players, good basketball players, the good football players, you were just born with how you were, you know, and that was your lot in life. And that was it, you know, and I realized like, well, I can, you know, like elicit change, you know, like a clear path. I, I want to, I want to get better or change how I am at something. You just work hard and it happens. And I never really, I mean, I think maybe a lot of kids appreciate that or learn that through school and grades and studying, but I never did for whatever reason. This is my first like introduction to, wow, I'm kind of in control of where my, my path in life. And it just, it completely, it was like a, like a rug pull, like curtain drawn, like two different lights. It was from that moment on, it was like, that was like the overriding thought in my life was, well, if I want to do something, I can, I can, what's the path I need to take to get better or get good enough to be able to do it, it was really, really eye opening. And so that's just kind of where it, it snowballed from there. It's pretty fascinating when you think about weightlifting. I think that's one of the reasons why it becomes so addicting for most people, because as you just referenced, you can see the progress really on a week by week basis. Now that doesn't mean you're going to yeah. get stronger in every area each week. But you might be able to lift a couple more reps or you might be able to lift five more pounds or 10 more pounds in, in each lift each time you go in. And it becomes extremely addicting, um, it, oh, yeah. which builds massive confidence. Talk a little bit about as you went through this path, how did you develop confidence as you were increasing the weights that you were lifting? Well, it was kind of like forced upon me, I think, because I was still, I was, it was just naturally kind of shy and maybe insecure. I think everyone who gets into the weightlifting has some level, some insecurity on some level, you know, like the the big, huge rip jock who was stronger than everyone in, in ninth grade doesn't start working out. He's already the strongest kid in school, you know? So there's all, we all start from something like that. And it was, I think, kind of realizing, you know, because I wasn't, I, I never even started like on a football team until until my senior year of high school. And then by my senior year, I was voted captain. It was, wow. You know, like it was really weird because my, my weightlifting path went from, you know, like puberty. My family's very big and I was a late bloomer. So I had puberty and weightlifting both hitting me like a freight train in one year. And I gained like a hundred pounds and I went from like, oh you know, goodness. like the, yeah, I went from the 140-pound junior who was, you know, not very good at football to the 240-pound senior who's the strongest kid in school and, you know, like, and really good at football. So just really, and that was, that was really weird because it was hard viewing yourself because now I was, I was always like the nobody, the little, not like necessarily the little kid, but just like certainly wasn't, you know, like I didn't stand out for being a big kid. I was always, you know, on the smaller side. And then all within one year, I was now the biggest kid in school, which was very weird because my, mentally I hadn't processed that yet. So like the... The confidence stuff, I think, just came from the fact that now, like, I, I worked hard at this thing in the gym, and now when I did physical activity or I did other things, I was suddenly better than everyone, you know, and I, my, in my, my brain was still viewing myself as the kid who 
you know, should be second string or it was like, it was hard to process. And so each new like interaction or each new big, you know, inflection point where like, you know, like early on in football season, when you got to tackle people, when I now realize like, holy cow, these collisions used to feel a lot different when the guys were bigger than me. Now I'm bigger. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And it was more, you know, like the, the way people treat you and stuff. And you just kind of realize like, you know, I, I, I can kind of change. I can impact my life. I can dictate where my life goes. And the, the confidence kind of comes from that. It's kind I also of think, um, right? yeah, Steve said something earlier. It was really interesting about, you know, you can see the results and that kind of, and that gives you a certain type of momentum. But the other part that gives you momentum, I would think is the fact that you now have this galvanizing thing that's galvanizing all of your attention. You know, it's like this narrowed focus. And, you know, when you're a kid, your brain and mind are all over the place. Mm -hmm. And the sooner a kid can find this galvanizing thing that brings this um, emotional, psychological, and spiritual things together, and if the focus is there, all of a sudden you really get momentum. And if you can see the results of what you're doing, wow, you're just a kid who's on his way. Yeah, and it, 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 that's perfectly perfect way to put it because it kind of forces you to be all the things that, you know, like society calls you, decides a good human is, you know, like you're, you know, you're a scatterbrained, disorganized kid. But now when this weight workout is incredibly important to you and you have school and you have sports and you have, you have a, a job and you have to fit this weight training in, suddenly you become like an expert organizer, you know, like you're not yeah. keeping the calendars, you know, you know, things like that. Or, you know, like suddenly you like studying doesn't seem, it used to seem like a, big hassle because you you know any free time you had you used it to completely goof off where now your free time is used for a purpose and it's not hard for that to kind of translate to well i should have a purpose with other things i do right i had a 14 year old going through that right now he's got a job he's a pretty um, powerful soccer player and he's a straight a student but when he got the job it kind of threw everything out of whack and his mother and i used to sit there and tell him you got to start to sit down one day a week and organize your week and once we told him that, it just took off, just to sit yeah. down and organize. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, and that's there a really be... powerful tool. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just that's a really powerful tool because I think it's easy to get to fall into a trap where you just kind of fall through life, you know, just kind of like like you're on a on a boat just riding a wave rather than driving yourself through life. And that organization is really key for that. Yeah, and yeah. there seems to be a trend where, you know, for so many years, people in, uh, especially men, you see men that have let themselves go, that they get into this whole concept of what a dad bod is, and they uh, they say, well, as I get older, I just need to fall into this. And so, uh, but the, the people that are succeeding at any area of life right now are the ones that are organizing their lives around their health and fitness. They're getting in better shape. And that that becomes the vehicle for organization and everything else in life. Uh, so there, but but confidence is one of those things. As we mentioned before, it doesn't come immediately because you're looking in the mirror and you might be seeing the same person that was there six months ago, even though you have a new body that's looking mm -hmm. back at you in the mirror, right? Um, talk a little bit, Justin. I know you coach a lot of people. What are what are some of the biggest challenges that are the biggest internal struggles that you see with your clients right now? Once they whether it's getting started or or you know gaining the momentum, what's the biggest internal struggle that you're, that you're finding? Well, I'll take it from the client who's kind of new, you know, because I have a mix of clients. Roughly half my clients are long-term competitive bodybuilders. They've been in and out of the sport. They they have them are coaches themselves, 
And then there's this dichotomy of this other group where not a lot, not every coach does this, but I, I will, I'll work with anyone who's interested and motivated to work with me. If I have openings and you want to work with me, that's my only requirement. I don't care if you're a pro athlete, if you're a pro bodybuilder, if you're a top amateur, you know, a lot, a lot of coaches care about that. I just want to work with people who are motivated, but the thing like the, the, uh, like you say motivation, the, the motivation, it doesn't come first. Motivation is the second thing, you know, you have to get the ball rolling. It's like, you know, people who are in shape, it's easy to stay in shape because you have that ball rolling. You don't want to change that. You don't want to ruin all that work you put in, you know? Right. So the better shape you're in, it's actually easier to stay in shape because now like you, you don't want to eat that piece of cake. Cause it's like, geez, I did a lot of work to get here. You know, and that cake's not that good. And conversely, you know, like it's like Newton's law, you know, an object in motion stays in motion, object in rest will stay in rest, you know, so you get a person who's never exercised and is out of shape, that's very difficult to transition out of that because you can say you're going to be motivated before a.m. cardio, you, you, that motivation doesn't stick, you could be motivated as you're going to bed, but when that alarm goes off, that motivation doesn't do that. What happens is you have to just get up and do it. And then the progress creates the motivation. And that's the mm. hardest part is you have to get over that hump to where the motivation happens. The motivation isn't at the start. And I think that's the biggest thing is people who aren't in this sport or have never really worked hard to make progress at something, they always talk about motivation and they think that's the thing they're missing. It's like, no, no one has motivation. What The motivation comes from the progress. The progress you know, creates and brews motivation. And once you, you know, once you, you, you put together 50, 60, you know, 5 a.m. cardio sessions and now you have a set of abs, now you, the motivation is to continue that. You know, and so that's when the motivation happens. That first day when you're 300 pounds you, and you have hundreds of cardio sessions ahead before you're going to see abs, it's not going to be motivation at 5 a.m. No, I don't even, I don't think motivation wakes up until later in the day, right? I mean, I remember when I started getting <laughs> yeah, up at yeah, 4 in the morning and uh, I, I would get up to uh, to read before I go to the gym. And I uh -huh. found over time that there's this little voice that's always there at 4 a.m. that says, hey, the bed is the bed's warm. You should stay in bed. Uh, no, yeah. today should be a, quote, rest day. You should skip the gym. And what happened is at a certain point, I don't even remember when it was, but at a certain point, that voice just stopped showing up. But there was never yeah. a replacement voice. There was never this, like, super motivated voice. The motivation never, like, showed up at 4 a.m. It was just a, a sense of discipline. So how do you help people, Justin? What is, what, when you've got somebody that is overweight and maybe they're significantly mm -hmm. overweight or maybe they're only uh, 10 to 20 pounds overweight, how do you get them started? How do you get them past that initial um, it, it, hurdle to where they can start seeing results and they start feeling the motivation? Well, the, the most important thing is they have to, to, to believe that what, what we're doing is going to work, you know? And the nice thing with the... The nice thing with nutrition is that it does work. It follows the laws of physics, follows the laws of thermodynamics. You know, we cannot, energy cannot be created or destroyed, meaning that, and, and so energy is conserved. The conservation of energy is one of the most important laws of physics. Every physicist for the last 150 years has tried to disprove the law of conservation of energy because that would allow things like time travel. I mean, it would be the biggest break, breakthrough in human history. You, you would immediately win the Nobel Prize and you'd immediately be the world's first trillionaire because if you can create energy from nothing, we no longer have to mine oil, use electricity, or you know, we can just snap our fingers and have unlimited energy. That's what the creation of energy means. And all a calorie is, is a measure of energy. It's the amount of energy it takes to raise one gram of water, one degree Celsius. And so that's how our body works. Our body is just a thermodynamic system. You input X amount of energy you know, and that that's how much energy is there. And so if X is now in my body, either I burn that off 
or if I don't, whatever's remaining stays in the body. However, I have stored energy in the body. I have stored body fat stores. I have stored glycogen stores, even muscle stores are a source of energy. And so if I eat X amount of energy, but I burn X plus 10 energy, that 10 has to come from energy reserves in the body, which is typically body fat. And when you explain this, you know, and so when you really understand how and why nutrition works, you explain it to the client, it gives them a sense of, okay, this is going to be hard. I'm not going to enjoy this, but I know absolutely that if I follow it, my, you know, I will, I will reach the results. And then from there, it's just, a, it's just trying to get them over that hump to where, like we were talking about before, where the motivation starts brewing. So wait a minute, you're saying that there's an actual science to this and there's not some sort of voodoo pills. And if I, yeah, if I yeah. use a shake yeah, which weight is so and I jump up and down. Yeah. So <laughs> nutrition, <laughs> and I know I'm joking about this, but I mean, this is the stuff people believe, right? That somehow yeah. there is no science behind nutrition and weight loss. And so that's why you see another diet and another diet and another diet or another pill pop up onto the uh, onto the marketplace and yeah. people believe it unfortunately so talk about yeah. how you get people to that state of belief what is it what does it take to break some of those old beliefs but oh but I heard that this diet works or I heard that thing works I heard that it's not you know thermodynamics and calories in calories out I heard that it's <laughs> yeah. this so what what are you doing to get people over that uh, that, that initial hurdle well, the easy thing is we use thermodynamics for everything else in our life. You know, you, you have a vehicle, you have a car, you fill it with gas, you put 20 gallons of gas and that's all the gas you get to use, you know, and that's, a, we're the same way. Only instead of one gas tank, we have three separate gas tanks. We have a gas tank for, that we can store body fat. So, for, you know, first we store glycogen, like carbohydrates in the muscle, and that's our small gas tank. And when that gets filled up, then that gas spills over into other areas, which would be like body fat. This, and then if you exercise the body, some excess calories will be stored as muscle tissue, which is how we store proteins. So you explain that. I mean, we use that everything. You know, you, if you live in the boonies like I do, you know, you have a propane tank. That's how much energy you get, you know, yeah, and you got to right. fill it back up. And you don't get to, when the protein tank's empty, you don't get to cook food. And so <laughs> the human body, you know, as people might not want to believe that, but you say, you know, like you can look at it logically and say, okay, what does it mean if that's not true? What does it mean if we input this amount of energy, but somehow we, if we eat X amount of energy, but somehow we store more, you know, than we ate, what does that mean? That's the same thing as saying that, you know, I pumped 10 gallons of gas in, but I actually got 20 gallons of gas. You know, that's not true. And so you know, it's, <laughs> it's a great, it's, and it's hard for people. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard for people to really believe, you know, because they, because this industry feeds so many lies. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing, but but then you can also just say that if you really don't believe it, just look where the money is. You know, how much how much money does big oil make? How much money is there in nuclear power? How much money is there in wind and electric? All of those things are removed the second the second these laws don't apply. Yeah. And so if they didn't apply, believe me, someone would have jumped on it because you know money rules everything. And if there's any way to create, I mean, that's what every you know, like the Large Hadron Collider, that's what they're all looking for. They're trying to violate the law of conservation of energy. You know, that's, that's what, that's, that's the, like the entirety of physics at this point is high energy physics trying to violate those laws. They cannot do it. And which makes sense because you can't put 10 gallons of gas in your car and get 20 gallons of gas. You go and put 10 gallons in. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I'm with you a hundred percent, but people out there have been told over and over and over that this pill, this diet, this thing is going to work for them. And so in the, in the nutrition industry, it's been so bastardized. And 
far too many people have a really difficult time understanding these basic scientific concepts. So what is, talk about what are, what are some techniques that you're using to convince people that this works? Is it, I mean, is it just a matter of, Hey, trust me until you start to see results or no, what, what are you, def- what are you doing? Definitely not. Definitely not. Trust me. No, I asked them to ask questions. I said, you get unlimited questions, anything. You, this only works if you believe it as much as I do, or, at, you know, at least, you know, I'll, maybe I'll understand it. You have to believe it. But so the, ask a question, you know, and, mo- and when you really boy- break it down, they're all immediately obvious questions. You know, it's like, well, you know, let's what, pick a diet, you know, a grapefruit diet. Well, why does that, why does that work? Or why does like a, a fast work? You know, like I lost six pounds. Okay, that's great. Now think of how we store energy in the body. There's 3,500 calories in a pound of fat. So you did a juice diet or whatever this diet was for five days. And if we calculated out how many small amount of calories you had from this basically fasting diet and what your basal metabolic rate, we learned that you maybe burned 7,000 calories. So that's two pounds of fat. So, okay, that's great. Then why are you down 10 pounds? Well, because weight is different than body composition, than different than body fat. 70% of our body is water. So the weight is water. That's the hardest thing to get people to understand is because your weight Anytime you step on the scale, you're measuring your water level because yeah. to burn two pounds of fat, you have to be in a thousand calorie deficit seven days in a row. It's a huge deficit. Yeah. That's just to burn two pounds of fat. To gain two pounds of weight, all you got to, you know, I'm drinking this. Where's my energy drink? <laughs> I'm drinking my energy drink. That's going to be, two, this is two pounds, you know? So <laughs> I've gained two pounds since I started drinking this. That's weight. That's different than fat, you know? And so you explain to them how water weight can go up and down. And if they, if, you know, and a lot of times, even like the women sometimes will insist that, well, I just, I don't care. I just want to lose weight. I'll say, well, that's great. I can get 30 pounds off you in the next 36 hours. Oh, that's great. But it's not weight. It's water. So the second you drink any water, the second you eat any sodium, the second you have any food, you're going to gain it all back and more because you're going to balloon up in water weight, which is going to make you panic even more because you lost 30 pounds in three days and now you've gained 40 pounds in five days. You explain all, you know, you, you just have to go through and explain all those things. And then, you know, because that's the truth. That's what all those gimmicks try to do is they just try to manipulate water because that's the only thing you can manipulate and, and induce change in the short term. You know, and so people track their, when people track their weight, you know, they track it every day or some people weigh themselves like three times a day. It's like their weight goes up and down like that. Yeah. Cause that's water, yeah. you know? So if you're on a, if you're on a one pound per week fat loss diet, which is a 500 calorie per day deficit, your, your, your fat loss trend is going to be like this, you know, pretty, it's going to be linear, perfectly linear, you know, because there's really pretty minimal adaptations to metabolic processes in response to, you know, hypochloric diets. But underneath that, you're going to have your water weight is going to fluctuate. So your weight here this week, you could have lost this much fat, but your water weight went up, you gained weight that week, you know, and now you're in a panic. And so maybe you do something silly and you, you know, you cut out sodium that week, then you plummet like this. Yeah. Well, the thing is when you cut out sodium, sodium actually works like an androgen in the body. The body is actually uh, better at oxidizing fatty acids for energy when it's hydrated. So sodium is almost like a fat burner, which is counterintuitive because it causes water retention. So you cut out sodium. So your fat loss stops that week. You actually burn less fat that week but your weight drops way down. So now they think they did something. But if you follow them long enough, they'll see, you know, that basically you're on this linear trend with these error, error bars based on your natural water variation, you know. And at the end of the day, the natural water variation of any given day is about equal to the fat loss you'll have in a, in a pretty strong calorie deficit per month. So you really, you, you have to understand and try, even if you don't fully understand the science, you have to you have to trust it on some level, you know, by, like by correlating the things like, you know, your gasoline tank or whatever to trust that, because if you don't, 
you're going to get sucked in that trap of weighing yourself and seeing that your weight fluctuates, all these things, because it takes a month of fat loss before you can even guarantee that you won't weigh more on any given day due to water retention than you did a month ago. Was, and that's the hardest thing. Yeah, I, I, which I think it's an extremely important thing for people to understand. A couple of things that, that uh, I heard here. Um, first, you've got to delineate between fat loss and weight loss, right? Uh, people that are trying to look better, it's not just about losing weight. It's about losing body fat so that you can see the muscle underneath. Go back to what you just said earlier. That's the first time I've heard that, uh, the, uh, you know, the tie between hydration and fat loss. You said something about... Um, your hydration level and your fat loss and what that correlation looks yeah, like. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, I mean, as someone, you know, I'm 270 pounds. I can, I can wake up one morning and be 260, 262, right. and I could eat, you know, a day with a bunch of, you know, kind of junky food, eat too much sodium. You know, maybe I was dehydrated the day before and I drink a lot of water that day, and I might be 278 mm-hmm. the next day. You know, so that's 262 to 278. That's a big difference. I can only lose. At my, at my size, I can lose about three pounds of, of fat a week, which is a 1500 calorie a day deficit. So I've just, you know, like what, what's that difference, you know, like, uh, uh, 16 pounds, you know? So, so it would take me, you know, at three pounds a week times four. So even then that's 12 pounds of fat I can lose in a month, but I can gain or lose 16 pounds at the extreme of water retention uh, in any given day. Okay. So, so that you just have, you know, you'll have this, when I ask people to track their, their weight, we look for long-term trend lines, you know, and you can't, I, I use photos to gauge body fat changes because that's what actually shows the body fat, but we track weight also and clients will panic when their weight goes up or weight doesn't do what they want, but we track it long-term and you work with someone for six months and you see when you add, when you take all those data points and smooth it out, you get basically get a very linear line where there's the error bar of water weight changes, but that error bar is such that, you know, you have this long bar like this, if you take the extreme low here and the extreme high of water retention a month later, they're the same level. So you could potentially weigh the same weight, you know, for a, for a month from, you know, January 1st and January 31st, despite losing fat that whole week. But over time, you know, with those error bars average out. Yeah, that's fascinating. I've never thought about it like that, but that makes a lot of sense um, with that fluctuation in weight. Justin, talk a little bit about the um, the things that you have people track. I, I, I'm a big believer in tracking. That's the mm-hmm. only way I've been able to get results in my own personal fitness, and I track a lot of different things. What what do you have people track as they go through their uh, their change and their transformation? Yeah, we, you have to track. I mean, you don't have to, but you're, it's really just dumb luck. That's like driving your car with a, with a broken gas tank or yeah. gas gauge. You know, you can do it technically, but it's you're going to get stranded at some point. You need to know, because it's a mathematical formula, 3,500 calories per pound of fat. So whatever your basal metabolic rate is, we need to, over some period of time, get 3,500 calories less than that to, to, to burn a pound of fat, which is 500 calories a day for seven-day weeks. So you, if you have to track that, if you don't, you're just guessing and you're not going to make, you're not going to get any linear progress. You know, we're, with what I'm doing and we say, you are on this trend line. It looks like you've lost a pound and a half of fat. We're trying to maybe drop two pounds of fat. We're at, I thought we were at a uh, thousand calorie day per, per day deficit, but it appears we're only at an 800 calorie per day deficit. So now I can remove 200 calories. That's it. And, and, and reach back that deficit. So I have people track. I, I actually focus mostly on macronutrients. Okay. Uh, so I have people track and with a food list, protein uh, per meal, carb per meal, fat per meal, and they're very specific amounts. And I don't really have them track calories and I don't have them track indirect macronutrients. 
Meaning if you're eating like the meal has chicken breast, even though the chicken has, you know, like a half a gram of carbohydrates and is sort of muscle glycogen and it might have four grams of fat or something. I don't count those because all our protein sources have fat in them. And my protein, my food list will be such that the protein sources are all within the natural variation of each other uh, in, in the indirect macronutrients like fat. Meaning that when you eat, when you see a food label, that says chicken and it says four grams of fat. That doesn't mean that chicken is four grams of fat. It's a, a chicken was a living creature. That's like saying, you know, the average human is 15% body fat. If we ate human meat, it would be 85, 15, you know, mm. but certainly every human on earth isn't 15% body fat. Just like every chicken is in the same. Those numbers came about, you know, in the mid nineties when the FDA decided they had to do food labels and you take this bomb calorimetry method where you put, get a bunch of chicken breasts from some local farm and you do the bomb calorimetry and you basically get the rough average of that group of chickens at that time. But that doesn't mean every chicken is the same. So the, you might get a particularly lean chicken that was only 1.8 grams of fat. And the next time you might get a particularly fat chicken that was like 5.4 grams of fat. Well, now well, I do 96.4 beef would be another food on my food list. 96.4 beef will have more fat than chicken on average. But if you get, you know, it's the same thing. That's not synthesized in a lab. It's not a pharmaceutical company. They're grinding up, you know, cow parts. Right. They're finding the lean parts, cutting the fat off, and they're, you know, they're doing their best. But it's not like it's, you know, like chemists doing it. So you might get a particularly lean chunk in 96.4 that's leaner than the chicken. And so if we try to over, over uh, count and like just get too precise and overanalyze everything, what you end up doing is you're counting, you're counting things up beyond the, the natural variation in, in your methodology. So you actually lose accuracy. You add all this complication and lose accuracy. So what I have people do is just macros from a food list. You get 30 grams of protein, 25 grams of carbs, 7 grams of added fat from these sources per meal or whatever. So there's an accuracy piece to it, but at the same time, if I'm hearing you right, there you're giving yourself some room for variation in it because of the variation well, there is in variation, natural food. Yeah. 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 And then another example to use an analogy, it's like if you've ever worked in an office setting and someone does a calculation in Excel, you know, and it's like, maybe it's a measurement, like I need, I need this part machine, you know, and I do some calculation and it gives me an answer to 700 decimal places, you know, that's smaller than the size of a, of a proton inside of an atom. No machine can measure it that accurate. Yeah. Just because the numbers are there doesn't mean that you have to know your level of accuracy and your level of accuracy with these sources is there's a range, you know, every chicken's a little bit different. So you basically get a bell curve. You have your chicken breast, the fat distribution is like this. We assume it's always in the middle, but it's somewhere there. Your 96.4 is like this, slightly shifted a little higher fat, but, but you know, 40% of the 96.4 ground beef is going to be leaner than 40% of the time, the lean ground beef is going to be leaner than the chicken. 60% of the time, it's going to be fattier. Mm. So it's technically fattier, but, you know, it's not that big of a difference. And then you get turkey breast, same thing. You know, 40% of the time, it's going to be leaner than the chicken. But 60% of the time, it won't be. Or what, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, vice versa. And so you just, you have these, like, these bell curves. And what you want to do is remove the, remove the, uh, comp, uh, like, the complicated things, remove the excessive tracking that doesn't do anything to improve your, you, you, you know, your measurements, because we're, we, we have this range. And so that range of that bell curve is, uh, that's the, as accurate as we can get. If I, if I restrict you to this fine line right in the middle, we have all this stuff that's just in, inducing, introducing inaccuracies in the plan for no reason and making your life harder where you're measuring your chicken breast out to like 168.2 grams or whatever, because it does nothing, you know, because we can't know beyond a certain range. So my, like my 
my measurements in, for protein go in chunks of five grams of protein per food source. So like 30 grams of protein from chicken breast or from the, whatever the food list is. My, uh, my uh, carbohydrates also typically go in five gram increments. My, uh, my fats go a little bit weird because you have to like fat sources are weird. You know, like uh, there's only like, there's only so many pure fat sources like oils, olive oils, macadamia oil. And then there's nuts that are mostly fat, almonds. There's, you know, avocado. Well, the interesting thing with those is those tend to go in like 7, 10, 14, 21 grams. You know, a, a tablespoon of oil is usually 14 grams of fat. Half an ounce of avocado is 10 grams of fat. Uh, a quarter ounce of nuts is 14 grams of fat. A tablespoon of peanut butter is 7 grams of fat. So those, oddly enough, I do in like chunks of like, like three, basically, like 7, 10, 14, 17, 21 but yeah. the, that's the level of accuracy that we can actually trust our, our accuracy trying to go more precise than that. We just get more, we get more inaccurate trying to be more accurate. That's pretty fascinating. So talk, talk a little bit about, I mean, this, here's the science of it and we're breaking down the macronutrients. Where do you bring into the equation, uh, people's enjoyment of food, uh, flavor, the things that they enjoy eating? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that play into when you're creating a nutrition plan for somebody? Yeah, the food doesn't have to taste bad. Seasoning's great. And like we talked about earlier, salt actually helps the fat loss. It does. You know, I mean, one of the side, aldactone, uh, aldosterone is the, the hormone that adjusts uh, sodium levels in the body, uh, a product that you'll be, you'll be given if you're in like heart failure or potentially high blood pressure to lower your sodium levels in the body that works on aldosterone is a product called aldactone. One of the side effects in men of aldactone is actual gynecomastia. Like you know, oh, like breast growth. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, uh, sodium actually works similarly to an androgen in the body, and you want that androgenic look. That's that lean, muscular, thin skin, low body fat look. So restricting sodium, it, you know, it seems great because for three days you you flush out a bunch of water, but then you stay there forever. And anytime you have it, even look at sodium, you get all bloated again. If we keep sodium high for three days, you hold extra water, and then you go back to baseline, and then you can yeah. eat all the salt, all the seasoning, all the hot sauce anything you want and with no change, no fluctuation in body weight. So that's what I do. I encourage any zero calorie seasoning, which there are a lot of pretty much every dry seasoning, every salt, every powder, every rub is almost always zero calories. Every hot sauce is almost always zero calories are very near to zero calories. Balsamic vinegar, vinegar is nearly zero calories. Red wine vinegar is nearly set zero calories. There's a whole line of zero calorie sauces and seasonings on top of that. And so, and that's why I say, you know, you, you like your food might not be amazing, you know, like like, like a deep fried Twinkie tastes great, you know. <laughs> like, there, there's a range of food, you know, like your food sure. might not be the greatest thing you've ever ate, but it's not going to taste bad, you know. And so if you if you like to go through, and the reason why is because what we what tastes good to us is what lets us survive, you know. We've only it's only been a phenomenon in the last few hundred years where there's been abundance of food year round for most of human existence. You know, you had to find the most calorie dense foods possible because you didn't know when the next time you're going to eat. And the next time you ate was going to come from a, a period of a lot of work. And we were actually persistence hunters early on in our evolution. Persistence hunt, one of the, so the, the, a couple of things the humans are better at than anything, you know, until our minds became better than every other animal on earth, to, until we were able to use our intelligence, what we were able to do better than other animals is our gait, a, a bipedal gait is very low energy consumption. And we have a very high surface area to body volume and we sweat. 
you know, so you take an animal that pants to release heat, you know, like a dog, they, you know, they don't really sweat, they release most of their heat through their tongue. That's a very small surface area. They have their tongue to, re to, to reduce heat, to evaporate heat off the body. We have our whole body to evaporate heat through sweat. And our ocean is very low energy. So the way we hunted before we developed spears and spears and stuff, since this is for, you know, potentially 100,000 years, is we literally just chased animals until they died of heat exhaustion and then ate them because we, we would survive after they would have died. Wow. And so never thought about throughout it. human history, that's how we got food. We only got to eat when we ran until another animal died of exhaustion. And so what, what allows you to survive for that? High, high fat foods, high, high sugar foods. And so, we, you know, we grew to develop a taste for animal fat, oils, fat, you know, uh, organ meat. Uh, and fruit, you know, things that were very, very calorie dense. So that's, that's the problem we have to get around is we've only, we've had a few hundred years to try to work through, you know, a few hundred thousand years of human evolution, and that's not going to happen. So what tastes good to us is still the foods that are extremely high calories. So you can't fight that too much. You can work around it. You know, hot sauce tastes good, salsa tastes good, seasoning tastes good, rubs taste good. And, you know, like a, a ribeye might be a great cut. I mean, real, a good ribeye is pretty tough to beat, you know. But yeah. a flank steak properly seasoned, it doesn't taste bad. It's pretty darn right. good, too. You know, like if a ribeye is a 10, a flank steak's like an 8.5, maybe a 9 if you really <laughs> nail their cooking. You know, so you, you, know you're so, you might not be eating like like Wolfgang Park, but you're, you're not eating. You don't have to eat junk food. I'm not making you eat boiled chicken breast. I'm not making you eat unseasoned rice. You know, we're seasoning the crap out of our food. Well, and there's there's something to be said, too, for um, this idea of eating the right foods to get the body that you want. And so you're you're maybe making a trade off from a 10 to an 8.5. Right. So I'm, I'm with you 100 percent there. One of the things that I noticed a few years ago, um, you know, I had some health issues and I would put on uh, more body fat than I was used to. And what what happened was I I, I felt horrible. And as I got my body fat lower and lower. I started to feel so much more vibrant. I started to feel like I had energy and vitality. And sure, I'm not eating, not that I ever ate any fried Twinkies, but I'm not eating those types of junk foods. And so it's almost like you you push aside those momentary pleasures that you think taste good and that you think are, are rewards or they, they, they feel good in the moment. But then the lower the body fat gets, the less appetizing those things are. Talk about, mm -hmm. oh, I, yeah. I, I heard on a recent, uh, or a, on a podcast, I don't know how recent it was. It was recent to me because I just listened to it, that you were talking about body fat percentage in men and why that's mm -hmm. so important to uh, to how they feel and uh, also their muscle growth. Um, talk a little bit about the ranges that you recommend people get into when they're trying to build muscle and yeah. be at their optimal level. Well, I, well, I want to touch real quickly on what you were kind of saying leading up to that, and that's like delayed gratification. Yeah. And everyone knows delayed, but the the important thing to understand, and I think and I try to teach my kids this, is that any in anything you do, the best future you that's related to that thing almost always comes from doing the thing you don't want to do right now. You know, like mm. if you're an 18 year old kid yeah. right now, what is it Saturday? You want to go out and party, you know? Yeah. That's what you want to do. But if you if you do, that's all you do. 
in 20 years, yes, every Saturday you'll be out partying, but you're going to have a shit job. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to swear. You're going to have a crappy job. Oh, you're you going to have a miserable life. You're going <laughs> to be struggling for money. You're going to be struggling financially. You're going to have relationship issues. You know, you, and so, that, and that's for anything. Anything you do, if, if you can, at any moment in time, if you were doing the thing you don't want to do, it's not like it's the terrible thing, but there's a wide range. You want to lay on the couch. You want to watch TV. But if you go and do work, work on a book or whatever you're working on, you do the thing you don't want to do right now, then in the future, you're still going to be doing things you don't want to do in that moment. Yeah. But that thing, but 20 years from now, you could be doing the thing you want to do, which is getting drunk and living in a crappy home with no money and a miserable relationship life. Or you could be doing the thing you don't want to do in a beautiful home with a beautiful family, financially secure, uh, you know, with your health. And that's, a, that's like an important thing to realize is like what's good in the moment is almost always bad long term. And then as far as like. Uh, so so with, let's pause right there for just a second. And then yeah. I want to I want to come to the next point, uh, it, because you, you bring up a point that I, I, I we can't say enough. Right. This delayed gratification and this idea that if we pause gratification now, we're going to have a much better life. If we lean into gratification over and over again, then we're going to develop a really shitty life. And what I found mm -hmm. is that. When you are the type of person that lives in this delayed gratification mindset and you push that into your life over and over and over again, when you get around the people that are not living in that space, not only are you totally different from them, but you almost get ridiculed by them. I mean, I can't oh, yeah, tell you yeah. the number of people when I go to work and I pull out my food and I've got it all prepped and it's ready. And people will make fun of me for packing my food. And then they'll come rolling back in from slamming a burger or a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, diarrhea-making food that they went out to eat it for lunch. And it's, it's almost like it becomes this battle between those that uh, yeah. are achieve, striving for excellence because of this concept of delayed gratification and those that are just trying to live in the, in the moment of, I want it right now. Uh, talk about this this tribal feel because I know you live yeah. in a space where there's there's a lot of people that are super healthy that are striving and improving and you're in the health and fitness space. What what are you noticing? Is it the same thing in your yeah. world that it is in? Oh mine? yeah, yeah. No, no one will care. No one on earth wants you to eat that candy bar as much as someone who's eating a candy bar. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. Like it's it's misery only, loves. But company. the thing is, very good. Yeah, crabs in a bucket. Yeah, yeah. But uh. Uh, I mean, I, I hate to use myself as an example because it's not like, you know, like ever, no one's life is perfect. Everyone's, you know, got issues and stuff. And it's not like, you know, anything of mine is better or more special than anyone else. But, you know, you can look at people who maybe you hung out with, uh, you know, as a 20 year old who were more the, the instant gratification type people. And they were a riot, you know, yeah. and maybe you were frustrated. You know, I can think back to times when, because when, like when we first got married, like when I was prepping for the Mr. Michigan I trained in the morning at four, like 4.30 a.m. because I had to be to work at 7 as an exercise physiologist. I worked there, and I so like on Fridays, because I bounced also for extra money, on Fridays I'd be up at 4.30 in the morning, work a full day, and then I'd come home, do cardio, and then I'd go right to work at the nightclub where, you know, if we if there was a fight or anything, I want to get home to 4.30 in the morning. So those were, you know, 24-hour days, you know, as a young kid on a weekend. And it felt, you know, like you'd think, like, is this worth it, you know? Because the kids that would go out and have, but, you know, and I don't like, it's hard to say this because people choose their own life. And I don't think, you know, I don't want to knock what anyone else is doing. But like last night, I was working pretty late on a Friday, you know, on our new supplement company. Mm -hmm. uh, my partner, Joe Miller, and I were, you know, like grinding in. But it was, it's fun, you know, because we're building a new business, you know, and it's exciting and it's scary. And, you know, you're going into debt and it's like, if this doesn't work. And, but it's like, I look around, it's like, you know, I live in a beautiful home on a private lake. 
you know, I hear my kids giggling, baking cookies or whatever with, with their mom, you know, uh, they're watching, I hear them watching Beetlejuice in the theater, you know, nice. and I'm like, I'm in my, I'm in my office overlooking like, uh, you know, a beautiful property over our lake and, and yes, I'm working, you know, I'm not out at the bar getting drunk, but it's like, this is, so this is my thing I don't want to do now, but my thing I don't want to do now is amazing, you know, where if I would have taken the other route, yes, I'd be getting drunk, but I'd be still living in some crappy apartment in Detroit, yeah. Michigan, uh, you know, and I, yeah, I'd be, I'd be partying at, on Friday night with my buddies, but I have no money. I want to, you know, I want to have all this you know, amazing things I have. And so that's a perfect example because I, right at that moment, I was doing the thing I don't want to do, but that thing I didn't want to do was amazing and so much better than the thing I would have wanted to do had I followed that instant gratification route. Yeah. So, so let's come back to the tribal thing. Um, and I, it's a great, great perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, what do you see when you start to get into your clients are getting into better shape and they're losing body fat and they, they start to find other people that are around them that, uh, you know, will help and support them. Cause I ultimately, yeah. I think that's what you've got to do. Right. But what ranges do you recommend that people get into so that they can have the, the long-term results? I mean, what, what does that look like? And why is, why is body yeah, fat for, for, it's so for, important? For men, it's most important because we produce testosterone, you know, and our other hormones are kind of as a result of the testosterone. And men are typically most anabolic, meaning the highest uh, testosterone levels, lowest uh, estrogen levels, highest insulin sensitivity at around 8 to 12% body fat, okay. which if you look at any, like, there aren't really many, there's only a handful on earth anymore. Uh, but if you look at like uh, tribes and things that never had like modern things, that's what every man walks around at, you know, and that's kind of what your natural instincts to hunt and where your hunger level gets high enough that you'll go out and pick berries and you'll stop eating the nuts when you, that, that will keep you out of that range. And so if you eat basic foods and basically live a vigorous life and eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, that's where you'll end up. Uh, and the reason that's important, and I can, I'll use a case study is uh, like any, anyone, any, any guy who was growing up and in their twenties had a buddy who was pretty overweight, you know, his early twenties or something. So obviously post puberty, you know, gone through yeah. puberty, but he didn't have a full beard, you know, like a neck beard, you know, there's even like a meme, like, you know, the overweight guy with a neck beard, not very much chest hair, you mm -hmm. know, maybe kind of like, like, like breast growth looks like, you know? And so what is, why is that? Well, it's because at that high body fat levels, one, that their body produces less testosterone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the hair growth and stuff. So they have less testosterone to begin with. And testosterone is very important for body composition. It's the reason men have higher muscle mass and lower body fat than women naturally. Two, they aromatize more of the testosterone they do produce to estrogen. So they're producing less testosterone and more of that is converting to estrogen, yeah. which is what, which is why women have a naturally higher body fat level because it's like a requirement for, you know, the ability to give birth and survive childbirth. And then also you have reduced insulin sensitivity. So, you know, like if you look at insulin, like insulin is a very, it's a receptor on every cell in the body. And I always picture it like this because you know, in picture insulin is like a ball that fits in that receptor. It hits that receptor, shuffles some proteins around, and then that basically opens like a drain that allows nutrients into the cell, you know, amino acids, carbohydrates, and that's what drives like the storage of all the nutrients we eat. Well, like what diabetes, type 2 diabetes is, is, you know, so much insulin over time, it kind of beats up those receptors. And pretty soon they're like, the receptor doesn't really fit in there very well. So it doesn't lock in, it goes to the next one. And there, you lose that sensitivity. Yeah. And then blood sugar levels start climbing. Blood, when you have a double effect because blood sugar levels are climbing, you always have that available energy source. Why are you going to burn stored body fat when there's always a, an available blood sugar source for energy? And two, you're not doing the things with the with the insulin that promotes uh, 
muscle growth, you know, insulin, when it binds your cell, it increases amino acid uptake to that cell, which will, you know, if there's a stimulus for muscle protein synthesis, it's more likely to occur. You're going to store muscle, more muscle glycogen to, to, to provide a better source for energy. So you lose all those things. So as a man, and, and I think, you know, like you see the testosterone epidemic in America, you know, or worldwide, I don't even know if it's worldwide, it's definitely in America, but men have plummeting testosterone levels. And, you know, obviously it has something to do with the foods we eat. It's something to do with the fact that we yeah. don't exercise and we don't do any, like, is, is you know, it, not, not saying this should be encouraged, but we don't do anything fighting or aggressive or anything that would induce like a testosterone surge in the body. You know, we aren't mm. fighting for survival. We're not hunting with a knife. We're not, you know, beating each other up for the right to mate. Uh, and we have chronically high body fat levels. So, you know, and that's everything is just fighting again. You know, you're not even giving yourself a fighting chance at that point. Yeah, body fat is everything. I mean, it really makes all the difference in the world because that's where the testosterone um, is going to be built at that lower body fat. Um, I, I love those different aspects that, that you're talking about with not only is it low body fat, but we, we aren't living a life where we have to fight for um, a mate. We're not living a life that we have to fight for certain things. We are, we're living in this world where everything is so homogenized. You know, I, can, I walked down uh, out of the bedroom this morning and I, I felt that it was a little bit colder than normal. And I talked to Siri and I told Siri to raise the temperature two degrees. And I thought to myself as I walked away, that is the, the wimpiest thing in the world. Uh, and then I, I walked outside. Changed, I just changed the temperature on my house on my phone. I'm, yeah. like, I'm a little toasty. Let me lower it one degree. Yeah, we have <laughs> right, no right. tolerance, no tolerance for discomfort. And so yeah. even even, you know, people like us that are that are trying to live this uh, super healthy life. We're using technology as a way to make ourselves so comfortable. Um, but, and I don't know that our bodies were designed to do that, right? I mean, we're, we, yeah, yeah. We, our ancestors had fires and they would warm up their tents or their homes uh, that way. And our bodies adapted to that. Um, there actually about, is a very important uh, aspect of that brown adipose tissue. Uh, so most animals have yes. a highly active brown adipose tissue. I actually have a funny story about that also, uh, publishing a paper, but uh, humans really don't, and, and, and uh, I'll, I'll tell the story because it'll lead all into it. So around 2007 or 2008, I wrote an article on brown adipose tissue in humans and used gamma-linolenic acid as a metabolic uncoupler to activate brown adipose tissue. Mm. Now it's not, you know, like you can get that in like uh, uh, borage oil, even primrose, primrose oil. And there's not enough to really create a stimulus for it, but there are things like chlorohydrobiotin, I think, can uh, work through acetyl-carboxylase, acetyl carboxylase 2, which can kind of induce this whole pathway. Uh, and the article got shut down. Uh, I won't say the website uh, or the magazine, but uh, they said it was too theoretical. And I was so mad because in 2009, Discover Magazine listed the 100 greatest discoveries of science in 2009. And one of them was active brown adipose tissue in humans, <laughs> which I was arguing. I mean, I didn't have any research to support it. It wasn't like I was saying, like, if this if this is in humans, this would work. But it was. But that's anyways, pretty common. We don't have. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, usually yeah. clinicians are ahead of the curve. I remember uh, a guy that I used to follow and learned a lot from early uh, in my my coaching career was Charles Polican. And, you know, oh, Balkan yeah. would say a lot of things that people just thought, oh, that guy's crazy. And then five years later, people, everybody yeah. was jumping on board and they're like, oh, yeah, you need to do this. Oh, yeah. oh you need to do that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, I mean, so like it, some of those things are important because we used to have that. And when it was cold, we would just, so the way brown adipose tissue works is the metabolic uncoupling is a, a proton gets driven into mitochondria and the mitochondria releases its energy as heat. 
rather than converting it to ATP. Mm-hmm. So it's not usable energy, it's just heat energy, which is great when you don't have a fur coat like humans didn't have, you know, we didn't have housing. So in the winter, you know, like your dog goes outside, you don't put a coat on him. He, if it gets too cold, he'll activate some more broad animal tissue. All we have is shivering. And you know how uncomfortable that is. It's terrible, right, right. you know, and it's really inefficient. And so we like, we basically comfort our, comforted ourselves away from a very active fat metabolizing process that humans used to have. We're just like, we just put ourselves behind the eight ball. Like, we were playing snooker. We'd be the greatest enemy of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're changing our fat to be non-fat burning uh, by, putting yeah, yeah. That, uh, by putting that big jacket on. That's pretty yes. fascinating yeah. that you had, you'd written that article. Um, talk, talk about some of these other uh, activities. You know, you referenced before uh, fighting to raise testosterone. So obviously dropping body fat is going to be one of the most important things that men can do to, to increase their testosterone. What are some of the other important factors uh, for increasing testosterone, uh, whether they be lifestyle or nutrition factors? What, what would you recommend that men do? living a vigorous life for one. I mean, that, like, I think Teddy Roosevelt said that, you know, he like, he always talked about the vigorous life. And I, I kind of like that term because yeah, doing things that, you know, like aggressive doesn't have to mean punching someone, you know, right. do things that are aggressive, you know, go climb something, go on a hike, you know, go for a run, go, you know, play flag football with your buddies, go try to push, you know, like push a sled, pull a prowler, go act, go train with weights, you know, do something that, you know, like, there's a very like strong uh, human instinct, you know, like th- there's a reason we get endorphins from those things. There's a reason there's a runner's high, you know, like there is, that's like a really, those are beneficial things to the human, to the human body. And so go out and, and exert yourself seriously. And then as far as food, uh, the weird thing is, it's like, like the food pyramid and stuff. We just so completely destroyed <laughs> humans and nutrition by, like basically, you know, when the food pyramid came out, it was if you were diabolical and you like you put people in a room and said, okay, let's des- let's design the absolute worst way to eat food to create the highest level of obesity, the lowest hormone levels, the lowest reproductive rates, the lowest testosterone levels in men, and basically the highest rates of depression we could possibly manage. We we, we need to do this. I won't, you know, it's it's 1988 or whenever that came out. By the year 2015, I want everyone to be miserable. Have you put, you couldn't have designed a better plan for that than the food pyramid. Yeah. You know, what's, and it's, what's so funny is it's so ingrained, you know, people who don't understand anything about nutrition will argue on behalf of grains and, you know, processed, processed carbohydrates because they don't know any better. And even nutritionists will, and they'll argue against meat and healthy fats. You know, hormone production comes from fat. Right. Uh, omega-6 fatty acids, like arachidonic acid is directly anabolic, mm-hmm. you know, arachidonic acid, omega-6 fatty acid. Uh, testosterone is produced from cholesterol. Cholesterol converts to androstenedione, which converts to testosterone. You know, so, and you think about like, like partly the reason our grandpas were walking around with test levels, like higher than the average 18 year old kid right now. And, you know, <laughs> they, they went they went out, they chopped wood, you know, like, yeah. I, it's funny, my family were farmers, you know, like a few generations ago and I, and like at my old, my grand Phyllis's house, there's a bunch of old generational photos and it's, uh, it's hilarious. Cause the, the husband, it's always a photo of the husband and wife, you know, they have like one family photo, you know, it's like the turn of the century and the husband is just like shredded, you know, he looks jacked, you know, he's only like 140 pounds, but you know, he's like sinewy and grainy, his jawlines, just yeah. like, he's like, you yeah. know, g- like giga Chad grandpa. And then the, <laughs> and the mom's always like really obese. And it's because, you know, she worked in the house cooking and they ate high fat, high protein meat food sources. So he's out chopping wood because of, you know, like a wood fire stove and they heat their house with wood. He's out working the fields, working the farm all day, 
eating meat, eating bacon, eating uh, animal fat. And I'm not encouraging you to eat high levels of saturated fat. I'm just saying this, these are what produce testosterone levels. So he goes out there, he lives a vigorous life. And, you know, go find a photo of your great grandpa. Go find a photo of any of those people over, you know, with high body fat levels. Even go back, go back to photos of Woodstock, even 1969, find yeah. a fat guy at Woodstock. You know, they're not. Everyone's walking around with abs. I mean, they got no muscle mass because their weight training wasn't involved yet. But even to, up till that point, we hadn't we hadn't got to where we are now. But those are the things that produce testosterone. Healthy fat. I mean, unfortunately, some unhealthy fats require also cholesterol as a direct precursor for testosterone. And you know, and I mean, animal sources of protein. And that sounds crazy. And and you could even make the argument that that, that it's not healthy. But you have to remember how long. Like evolution takes a long time. We, we evolved from creatures that ate animals and vegetables. So we, and we really aren't good at eating vegetables because we can't digest cellulose. You know, the right. deer will go through the woods and they browse, you know, they eat tree branches. We can't digest, we can only digest a very, very narrow range, range of vegetable and carbohydrate sources. So like, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of years of our bodies learning to be optimized around animal meat, nuts, and berries. Uh, and, and then we have like 35 years of our bodies trying to be optimized around grains. You know, it's just, it, <laughs> evolution doesn't happen that fast. You know, I don't I like, I don't think the human species is that much different than it was in 1988, you know? Well, I love how you talked about the, the, um, if you were to put together the, the perfect diet to make people feel depressed and horrible, I, it, there was a, there was an audible, uh, course that I went through years ago that talked about food and nutrition throughout the history of the world. And one thing that was really common throughout every uh, every tribe, every group, was that when people were subjugated, they were subjugated by the way that they ate. So whoever was in power would get them to eat more of these grains, more of the products that were uh, made on the farms, and less meats and you know the things that you're talking about with living a, a vigorous life. And that was the easiest way to get people depressed and get people pushed down and be subjugated by that. And so we're in the same boat, right? I mean, we're living in a day where there is so much easy access to quick carbohydrates, to, um, you know, high fat foods that we just, that, that are stripped of the protein and stripped of other nutrients. And it's so easy. I mean, I could... I could pull up my phone right now, and within 20 minutes, I could have, uh, you know, thousands of calories delivered to my door. All at the that's what I was eating right? when I started. Yeah, <laughs> and so it, uh, it it it's super easy. We have this access to it, but it is drawing us back, uh, you know, further and further into this depressive state. So, uh, talk a little bit about. Um, Justin, if, if uh, somebody is in that particular state right now, they're eating poorly, um, you know, they're overweight, they're depressed, they're not feeling good. Obviously, you can't eat an elephant all at the same time. What's the first step? Uh, if, if a man well, is sitting I, here listening to this podcast and they're 30, 30 pounds overweight, uh, 40 pounds overweight, 50 pounds overweight, and they say, well, that's me. I feel like shit. I've got no energy. Um, I've got this thing called erectile dysfunction, which is just frankly a byproduct of low testosterone and being over fat and all of these other things. What's the first step? What do they need to do? Wait, well, it, wait, let me, can I, can I refine that mm -hmm. just to have a little fun? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you have to bring in without any words, and this is the first time you've met a client and you're not going to use any words and you're going to start with nutrition and you bring in a plate of food and you put it before him or her. 
what's on the plate. Mm. There you go. Let's start there. Uh, uh, lean meat, vegetables, and rice. Okay. 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 And actually, I, I used no words, but I would have been, I was uh, made it much more concise with three words uh, or three phrases, pick it, kill it, grow it. If you can't pick, pick it from it. a tree, grow it in their garden or, or hunt it for meat, don't eat it. Pick, that's great. Kill it or grow it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really it. I mean, that's, that's it. You're, you're not going to find, you want to get step one. You're not going to go on my 600 pound life and find anyone who just can't stop eating plums, you know, or you know, <laughs> no, no one's been on that show because they can't stop eating asparagus. I'm so you know? addicted I mean, to asparagus and berries. Yeah. And, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really it, you know, right. and I've actually, I've trademarked that phrase and I keep intending to write a book, uh, pick it, cut it, grow it, because that's, that's as simple as it is for you can get 85, 90% of the way to the rock or, you know, like whoever your famous, like whoever your favorite, like physique celebrity is, you can get 85, 90% there just by that, not counting anything, you know, live a vigorous life, exercise, do something daily, and then only eat foods you can uh, pick from a tree, grow in a garden or hunt for meat. And that's it. It's, but like you said, it's so hard to get started because like you gave the example of erectile dysfunction. Imagine that guy. Okay. His wife, his wife's all frisky. He can't get a boner. Yep. it's 11 p.m. He's got to work. He got to get up at five in the morning to go for work. His life's miserable. So what's the quickest way to solve that problem? Do like three or four shots of whiskey, grab a beer and order pizza on Grubhub, you know, yeah. boom. Yeah. And I feel great. I'm buzzed. I got pizza in my mouth and that just makes the problem worse. You know, it's like, it's that instant gratification, quick fix. You know, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Tell him be like, Hey, I know you couldn't get it up for your wife, but let's get up at 4 a.m. and do cardio. That's, you know, that's hard. So you really have to, it's a, it's a big hill to get over because all the things that, because it's self-energizing, you know, the, the, the side effects of the bad eating and the, the not living a vigorous life cause you to want to repeat those things. Cause that, that's the, that's the thing that coddles you, you know, to make you feel a little better for a few moments. I think yeah, it's a comfort title always wants to feed itself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the title of your second book. You got to get up in order to get it up. Um, so <laughs> Justin, you said that you said in one of your recent social posts that, um, and I hope I'm quoting you. Okay. On this is that what matters when you step on stage is that you look the best. There's no moral victory, no pats on the back and no kisses on the cheek because you suffered more than someone else. That really resonated with me, um, for, for some reason, because I, I think sometimes we value hard work and we overvalue extra work yes. and suffering, but yet we're not doing it the right way. And, you know, maybe, maybe we're um, restricting calories too much or we're doing, we're eating the wrong foods or whatever. The, the key is results. Talk, talk a little bit more about what you meant by that. Well, that's, uh, I mean, because it's really to get lost in it because what gets you in amazing shape is hard work. You yeah. know, it's hard work. And so it's, it's, it's easy to get lost and to think that the hard work is the goal. You know, the goal is to get in shape. The goal is to improve your health. The goal is whatever the goal is, even if it's pure vanity, just to get abs because you want to get laid or, you know, that, that that's the goal. It just so happens that most of the ways to get there involve pretty hard, intense work. And so it, it's easy to get lost in that. And I see it all the time with clients where they'll get just so overly depleted. We can see they're completely out of muscle glycogen. They, they look terrible. They look skinny fat. Their muscles are so deflated. Their skin's thick because mm. you know, it's like you take a balloon and you shrink it. You know, suddenly the, you, you blow a balloon up. You can almost see all the way through it. Yeah. You know, they so stretched so thin. You flatten it out again. Now it's, you know, it's, the walls are thick. And that's what happens to their skin. Their skin looks thicker. Their muscles aren't popping. You can say, okay, we're going to do a very high carbohydrate day. I want you to eat you know, a thousand grams of carbohydrates from these sources. Yeah. Oh no, no coach. I can make it. It's like, I know you can, 
that's not what this is to improve your look we need to get your glycogen stores back up we're at risk of losing muscle mass we're at risk of your metabolism slowing down this is to improve our results but they get wrapped up in that you know like well i've worked so hard to get here how on earth could anything other than working even harder get me better and you get into a real bad rut and that's a thing that's common across the board with fitness because you, you'll see uh like long distance runners uh start their times will start dropping They'll, you know like shin splints microfractures in their tibia and their their race times will start dropping but they'll refuse to reduce their training volume yeah. you know and they've lost the plot the plot has now become well i run a lot you know i run i work harder than anyone where the plot originally was, I want to be an Olympic champion. I want to be the best runner I can be. Yeah, and that new identity uh, that they've created from the, for themselves, they've lost the the overall objective. And so they, they mm-hmm. lean into the fact that they're the hardest worker in the room. Um, so talk about when you when you see clients and they're everybody reaches a plateau at some point, right? What do you do to help them to break through that plateau? Well, nearly always the plateau is the fact that you've just depleted muscle glycogen. You know, someone like a, a, the average adult male can store like 750 or 800 grams of glycogen. So a larger bodybuilder, you know, over a thousand grams. And that's it. That's your, that's your bait. That's like your good energy stores. That's the, that's the store energy for glycolysis. The, you know, the energy that you're going to get you through your weight training. You know, we want to burn fat, but fat's a, like a rough energy source. It produces the most ADP, but your body doesn't like to do it. As soon as it's burning fat, your body starts sending signals to your body like, hey, hey, hey. We're using up our stored energy. We only have so much of this. I know I'm guessing there's not any woolly mammoths to kill, or I'm guessing it's not berry season. So I don't want to burn this fat. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you feel tired. I'm going to make this energy consumption be exhausting. So there's only so much fat you can burn before you start reaching into it. So what typically typically causes like the burnout and stuff or the plateaus is it's not like metabolic slowdown and or muscle loss and that's a confusing thing because that's another fitness thing everyone says you know you got to eat more to build your metabolism i or you know i couldn't i wasn't losing weight i wasn't eating enough that's absolutely not true it's patently false it violates physics it's yeah i mean it's the, it's, yeah. it's so wrong it's so bad it's not even wrong it's like not it's it's worse than wrong but uh it, there, there are things that are going on your metabolism hasn't necessarily slowed down it's that you don't have easy energy you're only using fat or you're or now even worse you're converting uh, proteins to carbohydrates through gluconeogenesis to use for energy which is another exhaustive process so you got no easy energy reserves the only energy you're going to burn is fat which is great you think geez i'm only going to burn fat let's go yes but you're not a robot you can't just go because every signal in your body is saying don't go you're exhausted you're tired you can't think your brain's not working and so 90% of the time, the simple fix is to introduce a high bolus dose of carbohydrates. I call them high carb days, a day with just a very high carbohydrate intake, very low fat intake and moderate protein intake. And then uh, another thing often is a lot of people will, even though they, I can com- explain the sodium thing to them, they'll get this in their mind that lower sodium is better because it's another fallacy that gets promoted. And so they'll be depleted in uh, blood sodium levels. And so what happens is, is, your body has to maintain your blood at a 0.9% sodium level. That's like required. So if, it, if, it, if you eat less sodium and your blood sodium dips to 0.08% or 0.8%, it has to rise it back to 0.9%. Well, if you're not going to eat more sodium to do that, the only way to do that is to pull water from the blood. To, mm. You know, So another depletion. So now you're dehydrated and you're de- uh, depleted of glycogen. Yeah, that's great. You're only burning fat at that point, but you're not doing anything. You can't get out of bed. You're exhausted. You're miserable. You're irritable. And so, you know, the way to fix that is bring sodium back in and, and a large bowl of dose of carbohydrates. You fill up with glycogen, your veins will come back, you'll be energized. 
and you you know and you'll be like a new man and it's like wow my metabolism boosted and i'll you know like i'll fall in the rut of even kind of saying that because that's what people want it's like no your metabolism didn't increase it's just now we went from having every evolutionary signal telling you that you know because how do you survive a famine you know if there are no willing willing mammoths to kill the way to survive is to not use energy to be motionless to sit in your cave exhausted and sleep you know so yeah, we went from that to now your body's like, oh, we found nuts and berries and a big animal to eat. We got lots of organ meat. Something happened. Let's go. We, now you know, let's get some stuff done. Yeah, that, I, I, I love, I love what you're talking about here, Justin. We are coming up on our time though. Um, I, I think we gotta, we gotta have you back on for another conversation because this is fascinating. I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of feedback from our, our listeners that they, uh, they want to hear more from you. Um, fi- final question uh, that we've got for you. So at Evolve, we believe that people evolve their lives by stacking one simple habit on top of another. It doesn't have to be hard to get started, but it's just got to be consistent. What's the most important habit you would want our listeners to uh, to build? I, I love that because uh, that's like my one of my main mottos is one thing. You know, that's I have you have your baseline day. You got to go to work. You got to do. I try to do if I can just do one thing to improve myself on top of that. That's 365 things a year that adds up real quickly. Yeah. But uh, the, the one thing for me, it's uh, like, uh, how am I going to word this? Uh, structured progress, have a goal. It, it blows my mind that people don't have goals. You know, I see this all the time with like, like someone want to be a pro bodybuilder. It's like, okay, you need to be 260 pounds fat free at your height to be a pro bodybuilder. You're 160 pounds right now. No, there is a path to that. But, you know, if, if next year you're 162 pounds, there is no life, you know, no path within your lifetime that that two pounds per year turns into 260. Yeah. So, you know, we have our goal, always be revisiting things, short, uh, short-term, medium-term, long-term goals. You know, like, like I'm a nutrition coach and you can do, you can make a really good living and it's a great job. You work from home, you know, you have no scheduled time, uh, you know, and it, you get to do the thing you love. So people always say, you know, I want to be, uh, I want to be a coach. That's great. What have you done today? You know, what is your path for that? Short term, you know, like what, where are your, your, where are your educational weaknesses? Medium term, how have you promoted yourself? Does anyone else on earth know you want to be a coach? Because if they don't, they're not going to sign up yeah. long term. You know, like what's your long term plan for growth? Are you going to focus on bodybuilders? Are you going to focus on MMA fighters? Are you going to focus on general health? And people just, you know, like hard work wins out hard work always wins hard work is always worth it you know and they, like the the they say like the the traits that predict success the two most important ones are intelligence but you don't have much control over that you're born how you are mm-hmm. but then conscientiousness your hard work you know if you work hard you can achieve just about anything and people get upset about that because they think they're working hard but that's the problem you have to direct that work you know it has to be you towards the goal you know if i'm chopping down chopping wood to, to build a fire, you know, if all I do is cut down trees, I did a lot of work. I don't got any logs to bring into the house, you know, like you need to, you need to focus. It's not like and people, that's what people do. They're just like, they, they want something and they think they're working hard for it, but they never step back and take stock and think, am I pointed in the right direction? Yeah, or even great. asking other people, you know, you have people who can be objective about what you're doing, go to outside sources and say, how do you think I'm progressing and just get a second opinion to just mm-hmm. shed some perspective? Yeah. Yeah. And that, 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 I think that leads into the next thing. The second most important thing is self-evaluation, you know, and that's a good way to learn because if you think I've evaluated myself and I think these things about myself and my progress, and I ask this respected person and they say something different, 
our our natural tendency is to say, well, screw him. Yeah, but you yeah. got to think, okay, where am I wrong in my self-evaluation? Because I'm not always going to, I can only ask him periodically. I can ask myself every second of the day if I'm pointed in the right yeah. direction. You know, yeah. I trust this guy. He gave me this advice. And if it's different than mine, I need to reflect on that and see where I'm wrong and why my self-assessment was incorrect. Yeah, we got to we got to ping other people and and almost like echolocate, right? With uh, how mm-hmm. we're doing yeah. with uh, within the world. Well, Justin, I appreciate the uh, the perspective uh, that, that you've given us today. And on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. I want to thank our guest uh, Justin Harris for joining us today, and my co-host W. Miles Riley. Uh, Justin, we've had a great conversation with you today, but uh, I, I want to make sure that our listeners know what the best way for people to follow your personal evolution and all the great things that you do. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or how, how do people follow you? Uh, I picked the worst name, but uh, Troponin Nutrition. Uh, and I'll say real quickly, Troponin was my handle on on website and forums 20 years ago. I went by Troponin or Tropomyosin. Okay. What that is, is when a muscle contracts, calcium enters the cell and binds to something called troponin, yep. which moves troponin off of tropomyosin, which allows the myosin and actin cross bridge heads to interact. And that's the muscular contraction. And so I thought that was cute. You know, when I was like a 20 year old kid, I was you know probably learning that in college. So but then when I started my business, also 20 years ago as a kid, I didn't think any better. I was like, oh, everyone knows me as Troponin. Let me call it Troponin Nutrition. But Troponin is also the market for a heart attack. So <laughs> yeah. it was probably not. the. But yeah, Troponin Nutrition or just search Justin Harris Nutrition or Justin Harris Carb Cycling. Or you can go to firstdetachment.com, firstdetachmentnutrition.com will also work. And that's my supplement company. And through there, you can reach me also. But really, a Google search for Justin Harrison Nutrition should bring just about everything up. And we'll tag we everything. Both, uh, we, looked up, we looked up the definition of Troponin before you got yeah, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I had to look it up because I knew I knew the word, but I didn't remember what it was. And then after the Google search, I I, uh, I hadn't uh, heard the uh, heart attack piece. I remember the uh, yeah. the contractile protein piece. but uh, Yeah, I wish yeah. that's the only thing that came up. But yeah, unfortunately, anyone who's had heart problems knows that they go to the doctor and get their troponin levels checked. <laughs> yeah. I'm not heart attack nutrition. Well, hopefully not anyways. Right, right. It's funny. I just I just did that like a week ago. I had to go do a nuclear stress test because oh, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I'm getting a hip replacement and the anesthesiologist saw something that was kind of a red flag. Mm-hmm. So I had to go in to do it. And so they did the test and they found out it was nothing, but it was one of the things they had to look at. Yeah. I used to do that. was my first job out of college with stress tests. I was an exercise physiologist doing a stress oh, test cool. and then stress echoes, which is a similar to nuclear, uh, it gives an image, you know, a different type of image. And then I did just, just the echocardiograms for a while. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, Hey, remember folks, uh, that it does take time and consistency to evolve, but first you have to disrupt and now it's time for you to get out there and evolve and evolve. Thank you for listening to the evolve podcast. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at evolve underscore cast and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve.